0: You are listening to The Mother Good Podcast, episode number 54. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to The Mother Good Podcast. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm very excited to have you here as well. I read your book that you sent to me and I'm just really interested in this subject, even though I only have a toddler, uh, you know, obviously it's always in the back of my head thinking, Oh no, what about the teenage years? And I'm sure that a lot of moms who are listening are having the same fears. And so I would, you know, I've been really looking forward to our conversation of, Instructing moms basically of how to keep their cool with their kids, which is a struggle or can be a struggle. But before we dive into the topic, could you just introduce yourselves, give a little bit of background about who you are um, and what your career path has been? My name
1: is Deborah Ann Davis, and currently I'm a parenting coach and author and personal trainer. I am used to be a career teacher. I taught high school and middle school for 27 years, science. And then I stopped teaching so I could write books. And um, about five minutes after I left the classroom, I missed it. So I started trying to figure out ways to work with people again. So that led me to the coaching side of it. Because it turns out that all the years I was teaching school, I'd meet with parents and kids after school. And there was always a problem. It was That's why the parents would come in. And I've had Ooh. these upset, angry parents over here and these defensive and sullen kids over there. And before we could solve whatever the issue was, I'd have to be able to get them to talk to each other. So over the years, I kind of garnered this this um, arsenal of tools and, and, and strategies that I could use with different families. And now, looking back on it, I realize that I still can use those tools to help people. And that's what I do. So back then there wasn't a name for it, but now we call it
0: parental coaching. (laughs) Mm, Definitely. So it sounds like you just learned a lot on the job and that seemed like it was really valuable experience for you. So I guess, how did you approach those kinds of situations when you just felt like, because I know that teenagers a lot of times tend to not want to talk. (laughs) Uh, How did you approach those sorts of situations? The
1: thing is that I had a relationship with the kids in school. When the parents came in, usually the parents were strangers to me, so I needed to find out who they were a little bit. And then I would watch the body language across the table between them. And when they came in, I already had a strategy for the child in order to fix whatever needed to be fixed. So through kind of questioning and and testing the waters and seeing how people were reacting to different things, I could couch it into something that would be palatable for both of them. And the student already knew that I was going to be helping them out. And they were not feeling a lot of trust towards the parent because they didn't know if the parent was going to embarrass them in front of the teacher or make the teacher see them differently or whatever. So My job was to make sure that everything was going to be good with me and the student, that we would have a plan in place, and that both the parent and the student knew that I was going to be following up and checking and making sure and, and, um, you know, doing the accountability thing with them.
0: Wow, that sounds really great. And I, I can't wait to get more into that later in the episode, just talking about some tools that can help in those sorts of situations. And I would love to learn more about uh, your awesome mom philosophy that you talk about in the book, because I, I was telling you before we hit record that, you know, I think a lot of the themes that are in your book are very much in line with what we try to do at Mother Good. And that's there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. And I really like how you describe this awesome mom philosophy. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about that?
1: First of all, most awesome moms don't think they are. With any luck, they think they're adequate, but most of them are not fair. <laughs> they're thinking that they're screwing up their kids' lives and all the other moms know how to do it except for them. And you know, this is the mm. voice of experience. It just so happened that when I was pregnant, there were two other sister-in-laws who were pregnant at the same time. We all had our kids three months apart, and I was the last one. And they were also 10 years younger than me. I didn't have I didn't start this whole thing until I was in my 30s. So when I um was when I was overwhelmed by being a mother, my head is a high school head, and the little squirming bundle there couldn't understand my jokes. So I didn't know what to do with her. So right. <laughs> it made it a little difficult for me. And It never occurred to me to ask anybody for help or get anybody's opinion because I was Mm. ashamed. I was embarrassed that I couldn't handle this and I didn't know what to do and I wasn't feeling secure about my process. And since I had two other mommies in my family who seemed to be moving along just fine, I thought, gee, I'm the only person in the family, nay, in the state who can't handle my, family, my motherhood. So I want to make sure that I can help moms who are feeling that stuff now understand that that's utterly ridiculous. I mean, you've got a toddler, right? I'm sure you went through some of this stuff when your toddler was an infant. But if oh, you yes. how mm-hmm. great your toddler is, you know that you didn't screw up those infancy years. And you didn't take lessons. You just did it instinctively. And that's what I want moms to understand is that you're awesome. You are actually going to do it and you're not going to screw up your kid's life. This is what makes an awesome mom. An awesome mom tries and tries and tries. And then when they don't figure out how to do it, they find somebody who does and then they try it again. And when they mm-hmm. don't know how to, find, to do something, they go research it and they get the information and they do it. Awesome moms exhaust themselves every single day, collapse on the couch, and then eventually get back up and start again, like making dinner or cleaning up the diaper pail or whatever it is that they have to do. But they keep trying and trying and trying. That's what makes them awesome. And you don't have to be perfect, because perfect is not real. Like I say in the book, I was an awesome mommy the day I forgot my daughter's birthday cake. Mm. You know, we, I ran around the house looking for something I could substitute. I found a Fig Newton. I stuck a random birthday candle I found in the utility <laughs> drawer. I stuck it in the Fig Newton. And we walked into her bedroom in the morning, waking her up, with one candle lit, singing happy birthday. The funny She thought it was so cool, right?
0: Right, yeah. I was just going to say, she probably didn't know the difference, right?
1: She didn't. But the funniest thing is that she's 31 now, right? A couple of years ago, I was sharing this story with her because I was going to put it in the book. She did not understand all her life that that had been the last-minute scramble. She thought that had been a plan all her life, even as a young adult. She thought that that had been an intentional thing. So wow. I was awesome without even trying. I was awesome the day the Tooth Fairy forgot to leave money under the pillow. And I'm sitting there in my classroom teaching class and the phone rings because we had phones in the classroom. It's my husband going, um, you know, the Tooth Fairy didn't come last night. Here, let me put <laughs> Rebecca on. So I'm sitting there in front of the class of ninth grade is going, because oh. I didn't want him to say something that she could hear. Right. They are so loving. But anyway, she's there going, I'm saying, well, um, did you put your tooth under your pillow? She goes, no, I left it on the bureau. I said, oh, well, that's the problem because the rule is (laughs) that you have to put it under your pillow. She goes, mom, the bureau is right next to the window. If she came in, she would have tripped over it. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's the rule. So I was an awesome mom. My daughter is an awesome daughter, and mm-hmm. every time I look back and say, wow, um, she's in elementary school, I actually didn't screw up the first six years of her life, and I spent six years thinking I was screwing it up, and I didn't need right. to be going through that stress.
0: Hmm, That's so true, because I talk to you know my friends all the time, and I think all moms have that fear, at least everyone that I've talked to before, that you're always wondering in the back of your head, like, am I screwing up my kids? Or, you know, am I doing this right? Or I'm just messing everything up. And that's so important. I love how you said that the most important thing is that you continue to try and try because that, that really is the essence of whether or not you are a good mom or not, because if you just stop trying, then obviously <laughs> there's something, there's something wrong there. And, and that really is the most important part. So I, I just love that so much. Exactly. So getting into, uh, I know that you talk about in your book about different internal and external factors of moms, and then also their daughters, uh, but I didn't want to limit it just necessarily to daughters, because I know that, um, obviously, we have listeners who are Have sons too, and I I have a son. So, uh, but relationships,
1: relationships.
0: Yes, exactly. So I was just curious, why do you think that it is that we tend to get angry or flustered? I really like that you put that list of external and internal factors for both moms and their children, uh, because I noticed that with myself, when I feel myself starting to get frustrated with a situation, I realize, okay, well, why am I getting frustrated in this situation? It's because I'm starving, I haven't eaten yet, you know, I'm holding, trying to calm this screaming baby. And then my toddler wants something else and is demanding something. And then I realize, okay, it's because I haven't taken care of myself yet. And part of the problem is that I can't necessarily, because you know, if you have a an infant or something, you have to figure out, okay, like how can I get this infant to stop crying so I can go eat something, all all this juggle or whatever. But I noticed that. In a lot of situations, it's because I haven't been taking care of myself or there's something else bothering me. Uh, So I'd love for you to just go over those external factors and internal factors that you talk about in your book on why a lot of moms start to feel that anger and then that pressure. I just want to mention, in case this is an
1: audio, somebody's listening, just listening instead of seeing this, the name of the book is How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door. Just so people know what we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is what I'd like to say about what you just said. If you think about our growth and development as being a continuum, like it starts when you're born and it ends when you die and you are growing and developing and, and expanding yourself all through that time. There seems to be this huge interruption when you become a mother. And you stop moving along that continuum as you Mm kind of flounder around in motherhood. And that's fine. That's okay. But one of the things that happens is because that happens to us when we're young, we don't get to develop ourselves emotionally and mature emotionally. So we end up not being able to forgive ourselves and not putting ourselves first and, and being quiet about problems that we're having, which mm-hmm. not putting yourself first and being quiet about problems that you're having are signs of emotional immaturity. Mm. And it's just a, an area in which you have to grow. If you can assign the extreme importance to it that it deserves, then what you can do is say, I'm going to carve out a little bit of time and I'm going to make sure that I devote some time to myself because if you devote some time to yourself every single day, and I don't care if you make it an hour or if you take it in five minute spots all through the week, all through the day, it doesn't matter. If you carve out the time for yourself, you'll create a sense of empowerment that will translate into everything you're doing, including your parenting.
0: Hmm. I love that. You know, when I was listening to you saying carve out the time and just make time for yourself, in talking to a lot of different mom friends that I have, it seems like society tells moms that that's kind of being selfish, which I do not agree with whatsoever, but it's you get those external pressures saying, okay, well, if you take that time for yourself, that's being selfish, or you're not being a good mom, or or you're taught to put yourself last. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's kind of inevitable with the way the day goes. You, know? <laughs> you sometimes literally have to, to put yourself last. But how can we reframe our mindset to not think of that as selfishness and then instead that it's, it's something that's necessary, as you said, because you need to be emotionally mature?
1: Number one, you have to believe that you're not supposed to be doing this by yourself. And if you're not supposed to be doing this by yourself, then number two, you have to reach out and get help. When you look at that mother over there, who's got it all together and her she doesn't have any spit up on her shoulder and none of her kids are yelling and all that business. I promise you, she has help. Either she's got <laughs> a nanny or she's got a husband who's helping, or she's got a relative who's helping. She's tapped right. into um, resources around her, like she's getting her groceries delivered instead of trying to haul everybody to the grocery store. Right. I guarantee Mm -hmm. you, if you see a mother who's got it together, she's got it together because she has a support team.
0: That's definitely, I want to decimate my mom's watching my, my mom's watching my baby downstairs right now. So (laughs) that's why you can
1: sit here and say, yeah, I've got a three month old and a three year old and (laughs) nobody by themselves.
0: Exactly. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to talk to you. I'd be screaming over them.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. So for all the moms who are sitting there going, yeah, well, they, they're, they have a better, they have an advantage. They can do this. And I, I'm not worthy. I'm not as smart. I'm not as organized. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Nobody is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nobody is. So you just bring your best game. You cannot yep. control the exterior factors. You can't control the weather. You can't control the mood your husband's going to come home in. You can't control the um, the store being out of toilet paper. You can't control exterior <laughs> factors. You can control how you are. You can mm. control how much sleep you get, which if you get sleep, It makes it so much easier to handle all
0: the issues. Definitely. You can
1: control how you're going to respond to the screaming toddler. Because between now and middle school, I promise you, that kid's going to scream. It may be one time. It may be daily. I don't know. But at some point, that kid's going to scream. So make a plan ahead of time. When you're taking that time for yourself, maybe the bubble bath, Make a plan of how you're going to handle stuff, how you're going to respond to the inevitable things. I mean, if you've got high schoolers, then the inevitable things are driving, dating, getting your heart broken. Those Mm -hmm. things are going to happen. Exposure to drugs and alcohol. Those things are going to happen. And if you wait until that moment, You will be blindsided and reacting emotionally to the way the situation is. But if you make a plan, then you will have a response,
0: not a reaction. It seems like a lot of moms just think that it's not going to happen to them, you know, or maybe it's kind of more wishful thinking like, oh, maybe if... I don't think about it or if I don't plan for it, then it's not going to happen or I don't have to deal with it or something along those lines. But as you said, it's kind of inevitable and there's no magic formula for parenting to avoid every sort of bad scenario that's going to happen. What does that plan look like? So let's just say, you know, a mom's listening and she's saying, okay, I get it. You know, I can't just have wishful thinking that my child's going to date someday, even though we don't want them to, or, you know, even though they always joke, I I hear Uh dads Saying like, oh, you know, you're not going to be able to date till you're 18 or whatever. Like, like they're going to be able to control that or something. Or 30. Yeah, ex- or, 30 or 30 or something. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what does a plan look like? And uh, how can a mom listening make a plan for when she encounters situations uh, like that?
1: I think the easiest thing to do would be to pick the last thing that happened and make a plan for that. And then as the, as you clear up the things that are going on right now, then you will be able to plan for things that are coming. For example, you have a toddler, school's going to come at some point. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, spend a little bit of time once a week looking into how people handle the transition uh, like a year before that happens so that you'll be comfortable with it. But initially start with what happened last. How would you handle that situation if it was going to happen again? And if I may, I'd like to address people with teenagers and middle schoolers right now and actually elementary school kids. If you are going to make a plan and change things, it is vital that you tell your kids in a calm moment what your new protocol or plan is going to be so that when you institute it, say you're addressing tantrums. Um, my favorite way to address tantrum is to say, you know, I love you so much, but honestly, when you're screaming and yelling and waving your arms around and slamming things around, I don't hear your words at all. I'm just Mm. watching you. And I know you've got (laughs) a problem and I really want to help you. So what I need you to do is to calm down. And when you feel a little better, then we're going to talk about this and I'm going to help you with that problem. If you do that in the middle of the next fight without any warning, they're not going to know what you're doing. But if you Mm -hmm. say to them in a calm moment, you know, (laughs) when you get mad and you're doing this stuff and you slam the door, I know Mm -hmm. you have a problem and I really want to help you, but I just can't hear your words when you do that. I'm so distracted by everything else. So this is what I'm going to do. The Mm -hmm. next time you have a tantrum or you're so upset that you can't just talk, then I'm going to step away from you just for a little bit. I love you, but I'm going to step away. And when you feel better, I'll be right there waiting for you the second you're ready and we will solve your problem together because this is you and me, kid, against the world. We are going to tackle this together.
0: I love that so much. What about if we feel ourselves getting upset? I know that you you talk about that in, in your book that, you know, obviously we're human too, and that there's different situations and, you know, maybe we can't really handle the, the screaming and it just makes us really upset. How, how should we treat ourselves? Should we allow ourselves to feel upset? Because I, you know, I, I think about this myself, like, should you suppress it? Obviously you don't want to let it out on your kid, but you have to acknowledge that you yourself are also upset or feeling whatever emotion it is so how can we allow ourselves to have these feelings have space for these feelings but then also not let it out on our children and then how can we separate the two
1: the interesting thing is as you train your child not to throw tantrums and stuff do the exact same things you're teaching them right whatever it is that you tell them do them do that, practice that stuff for yourself. And that will help calm you down. But if you are not handling it emotionally and you're blowing up, you need sleep or food.
0: (laughs) So true. So (laughs) More time to yourself, I feel like too. I I, At least for me, I noticed that if I'm getting super stressed, it's that, oh, wait, I've been watching the kids since seven in the morning or whatever, without a break. And that's why, you know, it's 8 p.m. and <laughs> I've had enough for for today, or I just need a little mom break or timeout or something.
1: Plus, if you're an introvert, which is not has nothing to do with being shy, an introverted person is mm-hmm. a person who charges recharges themselves by themselves. If you are an introverted person, you have to be around the babies or the middle schoolers all day. You don't have time to recharge <laughs> yourself, and so you need okay. to fit in some time where you're going to do that. And so figure out a way to do it. Doesn't have to be more than five minutes at a time for Mm -hmm. the initial beginning, but you need to do it repeatedly. And then you could say, like, if you've got elementary school kids, you're going to go work on that um, worksheet right now. And I'm going to go over here and I'm going to work on something else. And you mm. separate yourself. You can still be in the room there for supervision, but right. you just put yourself in the mind frame that I'm over here in my little nook mm-hmm. and I am relaxing and taking care of a grocery list or something that I can't do when they're there. And then you come back in 10 minutes and say, so how you doing? I'm going to go back over here and I'm going to take my little um, nook over here and because you need, I don't want to distract you. <laughs>
0: I I love that so much. And that's so true because I remember after my first, my daughter that I felt guilty about keep, you know, taking time for myself, or I thought that they were props or, you know, I should be present to my daughter 24 seven, all that. But that's, that is how I try to structure my day. Now, you know, I have, I know the little activities she has my daughter, at least that she can do by herself. So, you know, she has this paintbrush. It's, um, like magic paint, basically. So she just needs water, and she just can paint all these books. And she will just do that for at least five to 10 minutes. Um, And so I know, okay, like I can get at least five minutes. So, you know, if I'm interacting with her, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I just need a little break, because (laughs) she's a little chatterbox, too. And sometimes I'm like, okay, that's enough talking for, you know, after however many hours of constant talking, like, let's do this paint. And even if it's just five minutes, and she just sits, and she does it, uh, you know, it's so funny how I used to think, oh, I'm being a bad mom, because I need a little break of her painting for five minutes. But really, it's just kind of like a reset button. And just as you were saying, then you can go do your own thing. And then it, it just helps yourself calm down and everything. So I really like that a lot. Um, And then I guess uh, one and thing then, that I wanted the to other add- thing is- Oh, go well, ahead. I was gonna
1: say the other thing is that she sounds like she's an extrovert. She ch- recharges <laughs> by having other people around her.
0: <laughs> right. So, Yes. Um, yeah, she definitely is. The other
1: thing is if you take time for yourself, you are teaching her a good habit. Mm-hmm. You're modeling a behavior that
0: she needs to learn to do. That is so true. That is so true. So I know that... Uh, Your book, uh, which you already mentioned, you know, how to keep your daughter from slamming the door, (laughs) which I really love the title of, because even when I first read that, I'm like, oh, no, I hope my daughter doesn't do that. So I know a lot of our listeners, we do have listeners who have older children, but a lot of them uh, have younger kids or whatnot. And I know that you talk about this in your book about different external and internal things that can affect our children and make them upset could you just go over some of those uh, for both you know, younger kids and then older kids? What are some internal and external factors that, that might um, affect them? I'll start with the external factors because
1: our kids in general across the country are scared. And mm-hmm. they are watching their parents watch the news. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand it. And the older kids who are not asking their parents about what's going on are asking their friends. And they're being informed by kids who are observing things and not asking anyone either. So they get a very warped sense of what's going on in the world. With COVID, the, um, your kids who are visual learners see you watching the TV going, or, oh, right? And they don't really know what's going on. They just know that you're scared and that they need to be scared. They don't feel safe and they don't know if their parents are going to survive, if their grandparents are going to survive, if their friends are going to survive because they don't understand. There's so many times where parents are saying the school's letting the kids go back and my child's not ready. They're scared because they don't understand. So, I mean, the book does not actually address this because it came out before COVID quarantining happened. So the book addresses the media and how that affects kids negatively. It tells Mm -hmm. them about what their body's supposed to look like and how their friends are supposed to be and what toys they should have. And and all the sweet things that are out there that they need to be eating and drinking, all the things that they should not (laughs) be exposed to. Right. That's what the media does. Right. And so Mm -hmm. the parents are not aware of this because the parents have been raised within that media. The media Mm -hmm. says, well, the woman in the commercial obviously is handling her child just fine. And look how beautiful her hair doesn't have one hair out of place and she's doing it just fine. And by the way... Mm -hmm. That um, skinny mom over there who just gave birth, she didn't gain an ounce more than what she was before she was pregnant. So there's something for you to aspire to. And then there's tons of weight loss programs. And then there's tons of food, junk food commercials. And, you know, I mean, it's like this whole seesaw thing that is being thrown at you constantly all the time. And I used to have issues with those because I would look at the, um, Sunday flyers in the newspaper and it would show me all these things that I didn't realize I needed <laughs> mm-hmm. so I, I'd be going oh man I need to get that that would make me a better mother that will make my daughter happy that will make me a better spouse and I was getting on this treadmill cutting coupons and checking magazines and saving all these things and and it kind of started messing with me because I was sitting there going Oh, that coupon expired. I should have taken care of that sooner. If I was a better mother, like the other mothers, I would be taking care of it. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and all of that is being caused by the media because commercials are designed to make you discontented. Because mm-hmm. if you are content, are you going to go buy things? No. Right. If you are happy with everything that's around you, you don't go buy things. So the purpose of advertising is to make you yearn hmm so you and yearn, now we just get your kids yearn your spouses yearn your relatives yearn everybody yearns and it feels normal it's not mm-hmm. normal
0: and now we get all those facebook and instagram ads too that just filter uh, and then they change it based on what your interests are which doesn't yes. help it at all so i remember when you're talking about what the media tells you uh, everything that you need it kind of reminds me, even when I was uh, a young girl, that I noticed all the magazine photos um, at the grocery store just showed all these super skinny, photoshopped women, which I did not know that they were photoshopped. And then that made me self-conscious. Right. And there's just always that that double standard of always trying to attain that and, and then girls feeling guilty about that or whatnot. So I'm, I'm sure that... I know you talk a little bit about that in your book too. And I'm sure you could get into that more as well, but it's hard because obviously my only exposure to it was the grocery store, you know? So it's not like that. That seems like a very benign activity to take your kid to the grocery store, but then they always have those magazines at the checkout, which I still don't like, but.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is um, I, I read magazines when I was at the doctor's office. I'd go to the doctor's office a little early just so I could read magazines. But (laughs) at one point, my husband sat me down, was talking to me, mostly because I was sitting in the kitchen crying. That was the day I learned that um, dishwasher soap and dish soap are not the same thing. I squirted Mm. dish soap into my dishwasher. And so there was like, foam all oh, over the kitchen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like crying and wiping it up and you know. Oh. <laughs> and he came in to help me and, and he said, you know, let's talk about this stuff. And his suggestion to me, which was so simplistic, mm. was stop reading the Sunday Flyers. Mm. So I got rid of the Sunday Flyers. I got rid of all my coupons and I never start I never looked at them again. I stopped watching mm. um, Commercials, and I—it it still is something that pulls at you. Though every now and then, I'm driving in the neighborhood and I'll see a for sale sign and I'll say, Oh, yeah, look at look at that, look at that. <laughs> wow, <it's> for sale!" <laughs> wow, stop it!
0: <laughs> it's so true, and then it doesn't help too when everyone else around you seems to be doing the exact same. Um, really you obvious. know, I, I'm not going to name names or anything, but there's there's an item that. Everyone around me seems to be buying and I don't want it, but then so many people have been buying this item and I'm trying to be general on purpose. Cause I'm not judging. Like I know some people it's like, they really want it and everything. But then even yesterday, one of my good friends said that, she, you know, she was gonna, or she was getting this and it just ordered it. And then I was like, oh gosh, everyone's getting that. But then I realized like, oh, I, I don't need that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like
1: brainwashing. And we don't know what's happening. So, yeah,
0: definitely. Um, As a matter of fact, I have another book called How to Get
1: Your Happy On.
0: I'm sorry. What what? is
1: that? I said I have another book called How to Get Your Happy On. And at the end of that book, there's a – oh, and by the way, for your listeners, if they go to my website, DebraAnnDavis.com, they can get a free copy of that. Otherwise, oh, okay. you can buy it on Amazon. But if they go to my website, they can get a free copy of it. But at the end of it, there's an experiment
0: about how music and media affect your mood. Oh, okay, great. Okay, sorry. Could you hold on? My that's my toddler knocking at the door. So I'm just gonna go. Um, okay. I think what you should have done is
1: bring the toddler in and say, "I know See, I'm an awesome
0: mom." <laughs> I don't. I don't want to show off that much. No. <laughs> I can't really fault her, though, because she knocked and she was being so polite and knocking. So I was like, thank you for knocking. Oh, no. That's being
1: so That's polite. So cool. Good job. You're such an awesome mom. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you've trained her to do that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I can't remember where we left off. Oh, I was mentioning the
1: experiment in the other book. So the book is called "How to Get Your Happy On," and it's on M. It's you can get it anywhere as an ebook, but you can get it free on my website. So it's Deborah D E B O R A H and A N N Davis D A V I S dot com, and it's right there on the homepage.
0: Okay, great. And then I'll link that in the show notes too. So anyone's listening, they can just click on that. So perfect.
1: And it's not an inspirational book. It's about how to make yourself happy physically, how to generate the happy hormones in your body, no matter how you're feeling. For example, mm. you were talking about um, how can you make yourself feel better when you're at your wits end and the baby is crying or whatever. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. this, is, this strategy Is so quick and easy to employ. But if you have anybody who is toddler age and older, you have to explain this to them before you do it. Otherwise, we'll freak them out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's called the fake smile. So when you smile, your body generates all these happy hormones in your gut, and they stimulate your brain. The muscles in your face stimulate this whole um, cascade effect. If you fake smile, your body can't tell the difference. Your brain can't tell the difference and it does it anyway. So even if you Mm. just go like that, it starts to interrupt the anger and it starts to put in, it starts to inject your happy hormones. Wow. So you can imagine if you're having an argument with a third grader, and you suddenly grin at them without explaining it to them, (laughs) they're going to think there's something (laughs) wrong with
0: mommy. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's really good. I I like that a lot. And, and it's always nice to have like those simple tools that you can use throughout the day, because I was just telling my husband yesterday, um, that whenever our baby cries, that it's, I can't think. It's almost like there's static electricity or something, because even if I'm, doing something super simple, like trying to put my contacts in or whatever. It's like, if the baby's crying, I just, it just interrupts my whole thought process. And it's really hard to do anything. And I was asking him, I was like, are it you the same way? Of urgency, Andy. Exactly. Yeah. And then I asked my husband, exactly. And then I asked my husband, you know, do you feel the same way? Because he seemed when, when the baby's crying, I mean, obviously we don't let him cry for more than a few minutes since he's still little, But I asked him, you know, when he's crying, do you feel the same way? Because my husband just seems to very, you know, very level headedly just go about whatever he's doing, finish it up, and then calmly go get the baby. Whereas I'm just like, "Ah," you know, just being crazy, just, you know, trying to hurry up and finish it, or I'll just drop whatever I'm doing uh, to go get the baby. And he, he doesn't feel the same way. So we're talking about like, well, maybe that's something that just mom's experience. And I, I know I'm not the only one too, because my mom friends have told me too, that they can't think when their baby's crying or whatnot. Um, so that that's that's a good tool to know that, okay, maybe if maybe if I smile, or I don't know if you have any other tips, maybe like take a deep breath or something just to kind of, you know, try to relieve some of that stress, because it does seem like it is stressful. Like it, it feels like it's releasing stress hormones in those kinds of situations.
1: Yes. So I when moms are biologically hardwired to react to the baby's cry, That it's, hmm. it's a matter of biology. It is physical. There's, you can't separate it, but you can teach yourself to respond instead of react. You know, your baby's going to cry again. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so creating a protocol for reacting is a way to go. So you say, well, I'm going to fake smile. I'm going to do a couple of things in the book. There's a section called quick fixes. That's what that's about. Um, for me, and, uh, unfortunately, if you're a single parent, you don't have this that you can do, but for me, um, wrapping my arms around my husband and putting my head against his chest and hearing his heartbeat, calmed me down. Right. Right away. I didn't have to stand there. I just needed to, he grounded me. That's, that's what would happen. He ground me. And, Mm. um, and also I wasn't ready to be a mom. Yes. I did this in my thirties, but I wasn't ready to be a mom. When we got married in our thirties, we said, okay, we're going to do five years for relationship. And then we'll talk about having children. Right. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. four months later, (laughs) we went to plan B, (laughs) (laughs) which was perfect Uh, because that had to be this daughter that I have. So that's just the way it was. Okay. Exactly. I was not ready to be a mom at all. I was a high school person and I really didn't know what to do with a baby. So,
0: Mm -hmm. I was scared I know I've talked about this a lot with a lot of my friends that we all feel the same way that we weren't prepared for motherhood but then at the same time we feel like that there's nothing that really could have been done to prepare us because it's one of those things that you don't know it until you're in it which it kind of sounds cliche and frustrating too especially if you don't have kids yet (laughs) that you just want to know what it is but it is kind of one of those situations that you just kind of have to figure out. But at the same time, you know, uh, parent coaches, you know, people like you, it's so good to have uh, resources like yourself, because then when we find ourselves in those moments that we couldn't predict, then we need help to figure out, okay, well, how can I use tools to try again, just as you were saying that you need to try and try every single day to be an awesome mom or a good mom that we need those tools to be able to try and try to try to be a better mom. Um, I know that we're running out of time a little bit, but could you just also talk about some of those quick fixes that you mentioned in the book? Because I think our listeners would really like that and appreciate it.
1: Um, I'm going to say ones that aren't in the book. That way
0: you'll have the ones
1: that are in the book plus these. Okay. Okay. So, You take your fingertips. This one is, is, I call the fingers to forehead. You take your fingertips and you put them against your hairline. Like that. And you just rest them there. Okay. And um, you sit quietly and you will feel a little tingling or you'll feel a sensation in your fingertips. Gradually. So what you're doing is you're drawing the energy forward in your head. And you're also, mm. you're focusing on where the skin of your fingertip touches your the skin of your forehead. You're just thinking about that spot. Everything else drops away. Mm. And you relax for just a moment. And then eventually, and what happens is the more you do this, the faster this process happens. But I mean, so even if you do like this and you don't feel anything during that time, don't worry about it. You've already started the process. So you keep trying it and trying it and trying it. Eventually, what you'll start feeling is instead of this like random sensation, you'll feel a really mild pulse. Now, you're just resting your fingers against your forehead. So it's not like you're feeling for a pulse. You're not pushing. You just rest your fingers there along your hairline, eyes closed. And you breathe and you just focus on the way the skin feels, touching skin. You'll feel the sensation. Then you'll feel it starting to pulse a little bit. And then eventually they'll all pulse together and you'll have it all Mm. pulsing, synchronized. And so when you start out, nothing will happen. You'll just feel it. And then eventually you'll put your fingers up there and it'll pulse right away. You'll get there right away. And So your body's more efficiently getting you to that alpha, alpha phase in your brain where you're relaxing and you're calling upon your energy. Mm. So that's mind to forehead. And then oh, there's God. the fake smile. And then uh, what else? I, I did a whole series of videos called Mom Minutes, and I went through a bunch of these. And I oh, when oh I write things off of a list, I can't think of of any of them. Um, oh then of course there's meditative deep breathing the one I like is when you think of your breath as a square so Mm. you inhale you think of going up the square and then you hold it you think of going across the square and then you exhale you go down the square and you hold it and you go across the square so you breathe in you hold it you breathe out and you hold it Mm. and you listen to the way your breath sounds now, a lot of people say, oh, you should meditate, you should do this. Absolutely. If you could do that stuff, do it. Me, right. I got a mind that goes a mile a minute. I, I <laughs> have never figured out to me- how to meditate, but I do these calming things. Oh, oh, right. And then there's a thymus thumper. Your thymus is right here. It's a gland that's underneath your breastbone. And okay. um, every a, a lot of people think that it doesn't do anything, but it does. It helps with your – it helps create um, – um, white white blood cells, so your immune blood cells, the things that fight diseases. We go there instinctively. When someone's upset, they go, right? Mm. You see mm-hmm. people putting their hand to their chest or to their throat. That is thumping your thymus. So basically, just do that. Just mm. And that creates a whole cascade effect in your body. So those are stress relievers, all three of those thumping your thymus, fo- um, fingers to forehead, um, square breathing. And I don't even
0: remember what the first one was.
1: <laughs> oh, fake smiling.
0: Yeah, the fake smiling. <laughs> I got that one so down. You're going
1: you're gonna to start thumping your chest in front of your kid. If you don't tell them ahead of time, you're going to take them out. So you got to say those things ahead of time. And the other thing is, um, is if you are transparent, if, if you've tried a strategy, a behavioral strategy with your child and it's not working and you need to do something else, because they don't always work with your dynamic and that personality right. and your personality, right? So you have to keep right. testing the waters. Like I was testing it with my students and their parents, right? You have to keep testing it mm-hmm. until you find the right combo. Well, when you're doing that process, it's okay to say, you know, that plan that I was trying, I didn't like the way it worked out. I think that we can do better. So I'm going to be looking for something else. You don't have to sit there and right. say, well, I said I was going to do this. Now I'm embarrassed that I, it didn't work. If you show them that it's okay to fail at something or make a mistake and you just do something else and you you, you, you soldier on and it, it works out in the end, that's a great skill to be teaching your kids.
0: Mm-hmm. You're right. I think that that's one big struggle that a lot of moms have too, is just the fact that if you try something once and it doesn't work, then you think, oh, I tried that, well, that doesn't work. But just as you were saying, a lot of times, it's just repeating it over and over again. And then also just just being okay with with failure and and just tying it back to what you were saying at the beginning that the most important thing is that you try and that even if you do fail, that you just try it again or try something different or just kind of fine tuning every anything that you're trying until it finally works. So I really think that that's true. And I really like that a lot. Failure
1: is a way to identify a thing not to do, right? Failure is a way to identify a thing not to do. So it's not really failure. It's, it's knowledge that you've garnered. And I'll just say one more thing about kids who are having tantrums. Another thing Mm -hmm. you can do to help yourself with that is to Reframe your thinking about it. Usually, you're being blasted with that kid's upset energy, and you're just receiving it, right? If you can remind yourself that the tantrum is not something the child is doing to you, it's something that's Mm -hmm. happening to them, that puts you into rescue mode, right? And rescue mode is way easier to handle. Than trying to back, mm-hmm. trying to protect yourself from the onslaught of
0: energy, of <laughs> angry energy. And a lot of times we think of toddlers as little adults, you know, that we think, oh my gosh, why can't they control their emotions or whatnot? But they're, they're not little adults. They're, they're children who have, they haven't learned how to manage their emotions yet. And whenever I think about it, that in those terms with my daughter that, you know, she's, she doesn't know how to regulate her emotions yet. She doesn't know how to not just burst out when she's upset or, or whatever she's doing. That, that helps too, because I know a lot of times that I think in our heads, we're just viewing our children as like miniature adults or we have those expectations. And then on the flip side too, is that a lot of times even adults have a hard time regulating their emotions, especially like very stressful situations. And so how can we have that expectation on a toddler to hundred percent self-regulate when adults can't even do that all the time too. Uh, but yeah, those tips are, are so great. I'm going to definitely try them myself and I, I'm sure everyone listening to is, is going to try them and and just find them so, ho- so helpful too. So ending on a personal note, we always ask every single uh, guest who comes on the show, just a question that's more personal in nature, uh, just an example of a time in your life where you realize that it's okay to not be a perfect mom and it's okay to be a good one. Instead, tying it into our motto, uh, that there's no way to be a a perfect mom.
1: Well, first of all, perfect mom doesn't exist. So cut yourself some slacks. (laughs) I think that, um, my, uh, one time I went to pick up my daughter from her friend's house and she was in elementary school and there, it might've been a birthday party. I'm not sure, (laughs) but she, um, was the first one to leave and she was upset. So she was having a little difficult hissy fit. She wasn't throwing a tantrum, but she was having a hissy fit. And as we were walking out to the car, she was like right. I'm the only one. I never get to do, you know, all the other kids, mm, right, that kind of stuff. Right. And I was like, get in the car. And she always sat in the back seat. Get in the car and I I I um got in the car. I heard the door slam and I drove off. And I, I started saying to her, blah, 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 blah. And she wasn't answering. I said, Don't you give me the silent treatment. And I looked in my shoulder. She wasn't in the car. Oh. She had thrown her bag in and slammed the door. <laughs> it was going around. Oh. I was off without her. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went back. Yes, I did go back and get my child. And, um, I was trying really hard to maintain the conversation, but I was laughing so hard I had tears coming down my cheeks. <laughs> and she came, she got in the car and she said, Why did you leave me? And oh. I was laughing. <laughs> 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 and I, I finally just, I was going to drive off and I just had to park the cars and we got to settle this right now. And I said, I thought you were in the car. I drove off. I'm so sorry, and I started laughing again. <laughs> And she was sitting there with her little arms crossed across her chest, and she was mad, and she was wiping away her tears. And she, and then she goes, <sighs> "You you thought I was in the car? You drove away?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, and she started laughing. <laughs> and right then, I knew that when I owned my mistakes, she was going to be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. She wasn't devastated. She wasn't permanently hurt. She didn't start wondering, is mom going to forget me at the grocery store? Is mom going to forget me? (laughs) (laughs) She's going to leave me at school overnight. You know, it didn't go there. I understood that if I made a mistake and I explained it and I was transparent and I said, Mm -hmm. so we pick up and we move on, then she learned that if she made a mistake, then she picked up and she moved on.
0: I love that so much. That's so true. And I'm going to try to continue to do that with my two children too. Well, thank you so much, Jepper, for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation and everyone should definitely, I'll link your, uh, your book in the show notes too, and also that free book that you mentioned as well. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure.